like I said, it's good to be here this morning. And we're, I'm kind of having uh, the last couple weeks, I was thinking a couple, uh, a week or two ago, I was like, I, I think I'm going to talk, I told Roger, I'm like, I think I'm going to talk about, I think God wants me to talk about missions. And, you know, um, just like any other speaker and stuff, we're always looking, you know, what is it that God wants us to do? We don't want to be, uh, have you ever heard the story about the pastors, you know, that are kind of in their study and they're like, I'm not going out there unless your grace is with me. And I feel the same way. Like, I don't want to say something that's just like, oh, that's cool. That, you know, that sounds good or whatever, but that's not powerful. What is it that you want, Lord? And I come back and I think again, and I've shared this before, but I always go back to Psalm 23 when it comes to public services. And, uh, you know, I'm, I know some people are probably like, yeah, I do too, you know. Uh, yea, as I walk through the valley of darkness. You know, this is going to be a long service, Lord. Help sustain me so that I don't fall asleep. Uh, no, that's not the verse I was talking about. I'm actually more along the lines of the, the latter part of the psalm that we don't focus that much on, which is the, uh, the Lord prepares a table even in the presence of, his, of our enemies. And I have this picture about our public meetings and gatherings, you know, of encouraging one another, that God actually really is preparing a Thanksgiving feast for us. You know, something that we could be grateful for, where he actually prepares his word, prepares his message, prepares his uh, presence, even though we've been with him all week long, that there's something special, that when we gather in the name of Christ and we preach Jesus to one another, that, that our, our souls are sustained. Like, think about it, when Jesus was even uh, being tempted by Satan, that um, he actually said at one point when he was just like, hey man, just command these stones to become bread. And what did he say? He like quoted from the Old Testament. And what was the quote, right? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of God. So there's some degree of connectivity that the soul of man, the spirit of man, needs to connect with the spoken word of God in such a way for sustainment. Otherwise, there's death that takes place, right? You don't eat, you get sick. Ultimately, the body fails. And I think there's some spiritual fact to that. And so here we are, and I was asking God, what is that word that you want? And I'm like, oh, we're going to focus on missions a little bit. Uh, kind of a funny topic for me to say in because, like, I don't, I don't, uh, I've never really been on a short-term mission trip. So don't tell anybody that, but that's true. And I haven't been overseas or anything like that. Yeah, I haven't done that either. So I'm like taking on a topic. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to try and tackle something that, and, and you'll see as we kind of progress through here why uh, I believe the Lord actually allows us to tackle stuff, even stuff that maybe we haven't experienced through His Word. And so um, I've titled the message today, Missions, Preaching the Unsearchable Riches of Christ. Missions, preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ. And I'm, I'm going to get primarily that uh, out of the Ephesians chapter 3, which is another funny story, the way God works, but just let you in inside on a little glimpse, because sometimes people don't get this experience. If you're not really serving Him, you don't really see how He kind of puts stuff together. You know, for the most part, you know, the, the leaders in the church, we're not really smart people. But God is smart, and He makes people look smart by connecting stuff together. In fact, He does that stuff for me all the time at work. I'm not telling like all the time at work, like the Holy Spirit will remind me of mundane work things. And then when, I, when I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. I'm glad you reminded me of that. And then I take care of it. And they're like, wow, man, you do a great job. And I'm like, no, I don't. It's just the Lord. And I'm saying he like reminds us of these things. And so that's what we're doing here. Preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ. So point number one, I'm not going to spend a whole long time here, but on missions, point number one actually is how typically we actually present the idea of missions within the church, okay? Primarily, this is how, um, or the gospel. And I go back to uh, Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, um, I don't know about you, but I kind of feel like, and I, I might have said this before, but I feel like when it comes to the scriptures that I need the easy reader version. You know, Aiden's at that age now, right now, where he's, 
you know, he does like the, the early reader thing, you know, and you open it up, it's got like five words on a page, and he's like, yeah, I know that word. And I, you feel like they you know, open up the Bible, and I kind of, I like the easy reader books and stuff like that. Hebrews, to me, I'm just telling you, it's like a graduate level course. It's like a graduate level course. You know, I read that, I'm like, man, dude, what, you know, what's going on here? What is this all about? But there's this really interesting passage in Hebrews where it says, uh, he's like, you know, the Holy Spirit uh, comes back and he's like, hey, let's not go back to the simple things of the gospel, all right? And it's kind of like he's given a little, like a little slap on the hand or whatever. We don't have to return to the basic milk of the gospel, repentance for the forgiveness of sins and stuff. And he's listing off these little things. He's like, we... God wants us to move into the deeper things. And then he goes on into those deeper things. And I'm, and, and I'm saying that we still, in the church from time to time, and there's books on this and everything, we're still wrestling with that milk stuff. We're still kind of wrestling with the milk stuff still. And, uh, and so that's what this first bullet is about. Okay, And most of this I got out of... Um, I'm actually, I'm just telling you right now, I got this little outline from another book. I didn't make it I'm just because I, I was just going to kind of cover it. But it's from a book called Radical... Um, published by David Platt, who's a pastor. And I encourage, you know, I encourage you to read that. Go out that book and, and read it. Um, there's another book called Crazy Love by Francis Chan. I think both of these books have a very similar heart. Uh, these speakers actually saying, hey, yo, what's this all about? What are we about doing? What are we doing with resources? What does it really mean to follow Christ? What is that looking at? Okay, and so he's got a whole chapter, chapter 7 in Crazy Love, that's actually dedicated to this. And it's really entitled, There Is No Plan B. There isn't a plan B. There's only one plan, and this is it. This is why uh, going into the world with the gospel is urgent, and it's not optional. You know that right now on the earth, there's roughly between 1.2 to 1.4 billion people who have never had a chance to hear the gospel, all right? They're living in cultures where preaching the gospel in an understandable way or reading it is just not accessible to them. They don't have access to that. And so... Uh, God calls us and he's like, look, at the gospel has to get out. And so here's some basic points um, from David Platt on this. And I'll say from the Bible, okay, and primarily from the book of Romans. Some bullets, and, and Paul just, uh, just within the last couple of years preached through Romans again. So this is kind of that milk review from the book of Hebrews on what the gospel, the primary points of the gospel. Point number one, all people have a knowledge of God. Right out of Romans chapter one, that in some way or another, God has made himself known. The Bible even says that through the creation that his invisible attributes have been made known. So there isn't anyone on the earth that's like, hey, I don't know God. They might say that, but the Bible would actually uh, differ with them in that. Even though they say, no, there is no God or I don't know God, the Bible actually says that they do. And I'm, I'm just saying that when, when the creator God who made them says that, I'm just going to say, I'm going to... I'm going to team up with the Lord on this one. I'm going to team up with the God. And, and when he says that everybody knows him, it's true. Point number two, all people have rejected God. And that's again from Romans. In some way or another, we have decided to worship ourselves. When Adam actually took that fruit and transgressed God's commandment, he actually took on deity level himself, the knowledge of good and evil, and in so doing, he rejected God as being his God. Okay? And now we've inherited that, the Bible says, that we've inherited that. In, in Romans chapter 5, it says that through one transgression, that condemnation came to all men. And so we've inherited that. Not only through that, though, it's not only Adam's fault, but you and I individually and every single person in the world, the Bible teaches, has rejected God as being their God, as being their ruler. And in so doing, it gets us into trouble. 
That trouble is point number three, which I just quoted from Romans chapter 5. All people are condemned for rejecting God. All people have been, have been brought under condemnation because of that rejection of His Lordship. Okay? Now, that's where we also get uh, like the verse, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but so that through Him the world might be saved. So what he's really saying is that the stamp of condemnation is already there. It's already on there. Okay, The whole world condemned. All people condemned because of our rejection of Him. It's already there. So Jesus has come in to save men. Okay, So point number four. God has made a way of salvation for humanity. God has made a way to save mankind. That way is Jesus. He is the way. In fact, the Bible teaches that He is the only way. It, it, is, it does teach exclusivity. That's what it teaches. In Acts chapter 4, it says that there is no other name that has been given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. There is no other way for us actually to have our sins forgiven. God actually created it. In fact, if you think through this, if you have any time to do study world religions or look at it, frequently the core concept in religious thought is I need to get right with something. With the universe, I need to get right with a a form of God or something. I mean, there's all kinds of ideas out there. I remember watching one time on the History Channel, I was watching about um, one of the religious systems where um, after you get married and you have kids, the the husband basically, even though the kids aren't even grown, they're like, okay, we had our four children and now it's time for me to start paying my debt. So I am now leaving. And so he takes a whip and he leaves his wife and his kids and he goes and he lives a beggar's life for the rest of his life. Frequently they're seen beating themselves, you know, as a form of doing penance, hoping that, that uh, their impoverished life will actually merit some level of right standing with the universe or with God later on that eventually they'll make it to glorification. Okay? And that's not what the Bible teaches at all. In fact, it says that God has made a way, it's the only way, and it's through Jesus, and that in a nutshell, that what we could not do, we could not keep commands, we could not live a life of perfection, that God sent His Son into the world to do that, that Jesus took on our beating, our scourging, our death penalty, He became the substitute, embraced that cross, died on that cross and paid our death penalty for us, was buried and then raised the third day, and that everyone who actually turns to Him by faith, understanding our, our sin condition, actually then gets His perfection given to Him by God. And so that He becomes our clothing. So the Bible says, like, put on the clothing of Christ's righteousness. There is no other way. God has made a way of salvation for the lost. Point number five, which I was just covering, people cannot come to God apart from faith in Jesus Christ. He is the only way. And he even said that himself, didn't he? We we like to quote this verse a lot, but what is it? I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That was in response to Thomas. I was like, look, man, we don't know the way. We don't know where you're going. We don't know anything. He's like, yes, you do. You do know, because you know me, and I am the way. And then lastly, uh, Christ commands the church to make the gospel known to all people. He commands the church, his followers, to make the gospel known to all people. Okay, so open up your Bibles to, to Romans chapter 10 real quick. I could spend a long time here, but 
Just want you guys to see this as a structure. Because I'm going to take a different, a different look at missions in just a minute. Famous passage, Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now verse 14. How then will they call on Him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And so here you have a progression of questions of God, the Holy Spirit, illuminating to us how the Gospel moves from, sal- from, from the sending, the calling and the sending, all the way through salvation. So if you start in verse 15 and work your way backwards in reverse order, so, so what happened here, the Holy Spirit actually did it in reverse. Okay? Start with verse 15 and work your way backwards. How does it work? Well, number one, God calls out servants and then He sends them. He takes a servant and He sends them into the world. What do they do? They preach the Gospel. What happens? People hear the Gospel with their ears. There's other ways to hear the Gospel too, by the way. You could read it in Braille, like in the book of Eli or whatever. You know, I'm just saying. It's out there. There's other ways to do that. People hear it. And then what happens to the hearers? They believe it. Okay? They actually believe it. And then believers call on His name. And what happens to the believers who call on their name? They're saved. So there you have the progression of how the Gospel moves into the world. This is one of those situations where, and I said this before, like with, uh, and I'm not against this totally, but I'm just saying, uh, when it comes to evangelism as a whole, frequently when you're out with your family, you know, the holidays are coming up, and you know, everyone's like, hey, wine cooler? Yeah, wine cooler. Now let's have Coke. Do you have Coke? No. Do you have Sprite? Oh, Sprite. And you're drinking Sprite. Usually it's not going to be, you know, someone's going to come up to you and be like, hey, you know, I noticed everyone's drinking wine coolers, but you're drinking a Sprite. So um, can you tell me about your hope and everlasting eternal life in Jesus Christ? And it's, it's not going to happen. So why? Because the gospel, you know, it's there. You're making a choice for the gospel, maybe or maybe not. By the way, uh, you can drink uh, for the Lord. Be careful because there's a line in that. You know, drunkenness is actually disobedience. Um, but we observe certain things for the Lord is what I'm getting at. And you can do that kind of stuff, but that doesn't diminish the reality that we need to tell people about the gospel. They need to hear because faith comes through hearing, okay, in some way or another. All right. So on, uh, on the CNMA website, by the way, if you have an internet-connected computer or whatever, there's a whole bunch of sermons on there if you want to get to know a little bit more about A.B. Simpson. One of the first ones that are there is actually a series of um, eight sermons on missions. His first sermon in that uh, little book, it's a PDF book that you can download and print out or whatever, or uh, you know, if you have an e-reader, you can put it on your e-reader and you can like, check it out. But the first sermon on there, it's entitled The Missionary Emergency. And it begins with 11 reasons why missions is an emergency for the world. And all of it is an illustration in greater depth of, the, of this first bullet that I'm saying, that there is no plan B. People need to hear the gospel. People need to go into the world, okay? Into the world. All right. I like this. This is a quote, actually, from Penn Jillette. Do you know who Penn and Teller are? Have you, heard, you know, ever heard of Penn and Teller? Okay, so this guy, Penn Jillette, he's actually an atheist. And, uh, and he says this, actually, you can look this up for those of you who are connected on YouTube. Just go in there and like look this up and you can watch the video. I'm just quoting from him, but you can actually watch the video of him actually saying this. And this is what he says. I've always said, you know, that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell 
or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you really have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? If I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it and that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And uh, I have to say, like, isn't it interesting how God does that sometimes? Like, he'll take the people on the other team, like the other team, and he like, and God's like, come on over here. And he grabs them and he's like a bat. And he's like, all right, now. And then he takes them over to the church and he's like, okay, here it comes, ready? Bam! And then he spanks us with it. You know, he like spanks us with the truth. And you're like, oh, dude, listen. Uh, and, and you'll see what I'm talking about. This is not guilt-driven evangelism because of, of the next point of what I'm going to talk about. I want to look at missions from a different standpoint. But he is right. He's right. This is true, man. It, I, I mean, think about what this teaches. I mean, the church right now in America is even wrestling over the issue of hell. Have you wrestled with it? I mean, are you going to, you know, where, where are you at with that? Because in one sense or another, I mean, it, it's either laying it out or not laying it out. You know, I, I received a phone call some years ago. And uh, it was a person that called up on the telephone when we used to get telemarketing calls. And I used to love to get telemarketing calls. And I thought, like, tons of stories about it. Because, you know, I have this idea of the sovereignty of God that you're calling my house at a certain time when I happen to be there. It must mean that I need to tell you about Jesus. That's <laughs> going to happen. So, uh, now the question is uh, how to do that in a creative way, right? So he calls up and he's, he's collecting money for uh, remediation of a, of a disease. And I'm like, um, and I, you know, I listen to his little piece and I'm like, I go, man, I really appreciate your call and I, and I understand what you're doing and I think what you're doing is, is really a worthy cause. But I want to tell you that, that I happen to have um, a cure not just for a disease but for death itself. I, I actually happen to know a cure for death. And he's like, what? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I do actually. I, I, you know, I, I didn't come up with it myself. It's actually a company that's been around for a while. It's a, it's a father and a son owned company. You know, they're, they're, they're a worldwide organization. They, they want to have an office in every single city around the entire world. And, uh, you know, they, they're trying to get the message out, you know, that there's a cure for death and they want everyone to know about it. Um, they're very wealthy. They're even into farming. They have a cattle, you know, they have cattle on hills all over the place. And I'm serious. This is, this is for real. This really happened. And, and then he's like, he's like, wow, you got me interested now. I, I want to know a little bit more about this, you know, and I'm like... <laughs> At the end, he forgot what he was calling me for, you know. And it was... <laughs> I love the kind of stuff. That's so good. All right, so just kind of throwing that out there, you know, opportunities. You know, frequently we, we look at it as a nuisance call. And I, I'm telling you, I've had, I've had a whole bunch of phone calls like that, actually, where telemarketers have called off. Got into a conversation once with a woman who was uh, recently was, um, you know, had some, their family was getting involved in the Church of, La- of, of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and stuff. And, with that, and so we... You know, I don't remember, I don't remember what she called me about at all. I just remember having a pretty lengthy conversation about doctrine, you know, just teaching and stuff like that. Interesting how that all works out. And then I, you know, frequently though, they hang up on me. I'll be honest with you, you know. One time there was a lady and, and I heard her, you know, I'm just going off about, this was one of those times I'm just like, I'm just talking about Jesus just over and over. And I hear her, she's got her hand over the mic and she's like, you guys, you guys, get over here. There's a crazy man on the phone and he's talking about Jesus and he won't shut up. Yeah, it's for real. It's for real. Yeah, all right. All right, point number two. Point number two. By the way, we're all created in different ways in Christ, right? 
That doesn't mean that everyone has to be like everyone else. God has given each of us gifts in different ways, and we need to enjoy that diversity. Um, enjoy that diversity in different ways. So God has gifted us in different ways to go in different places and at different times. All right, point number two, and this is, the, this is the key of what I want to talk about. Another reason for missions, other than the redemptive issue, which is critical, okay? We're talking, we're talking possibly eternal death and eternal life. Huge. I want to look at missions from a different standpoint, and that is missions from the standpoint of worship, as being a, a declaration of God gathering people for worship. Not just a, you know, we, we, try, we try and make this penultimate thing. I don't know what happened, you know, in the, you know, where we're like, hey, don't you want to know that when you die, that you're going to go to heaven? And, and if you want that, which you're dumb if you don't, by the way, I'm just going to kind of wrestle this logic into you in my full Nelson. Who in the world wants to go into everlasting fire for all eternity, right? And worms are eating you. You know, I mean, I'm going to use all that text on you, man. I mean, you're just... And I, I, I did that one time with a lady. Actually, when we first started planting the, the church, the Spanish church here in the afternoon, actually, not when we were combined, uh, you know, I tried to do that one time with this woman because they were just so bold, man. And I was going out with them. If they, if they spoke English, I would share the gospel. If it was Spanish, they would. So we'd kind of pair up on Saturday. And this woman answered the door, and I'm like, I'm getting a confession out of this woman, man. I'm going to get one. And I was just like, dude, you're going to die. You need to make a decision right now. And the whole time, the Holy Spirit's like, dude, dude, what are you doing? What are you doing, man? Okay, but we do that, you know. We, we make the, and by the way, that's an intermediate state. That's not even the end game, right? That's an intermediate state. Why are we trying to bait people with intermediate state stuff? Don't get me wrong. The life and death thing is really, really important, and we need to get our teaching correct, but... Uh, if I read the Bible right, like after I die, I'm going to glory with him and I'm like floating around somehow, you know, without my body or whatever. Like my body will be buried on the earth or whatever happens to it. It goes into the sea. And, uh, and then Jesus brings me back and reforms my body so that my body is raised just like his body is raised. Okay, there's, there's, that's not the end game. So another reason for missions, worship. We will not know God in his full majesty until we know him moving triumphantly among the nations. We will not admire and praise him as we ought to until we see him gathering a company of worshipers for himself from every people group on the earth. Worship is a driving passion for missions. Worship is a driving passion for missions. So, let's look at the heart of God. And uh, I have a couple of Psalms. I'm going to have you turn to Psalm 22 in a second, but Psalm 67, verses 3 and 4, Psalm 67, verses 3 and 4 says this, Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let all the peoples praise you. Worship. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. So this is God's plan. What's His plan? His plan is, I want to make a people of my, for myself that will rejoice. By the way, that praise, that releasing of praise, that joy, that triumphant exaltation, exaltive, like I want to worship this God, lends itself towards, look at what happens to the people. Gladness. It, ha- it lends itself towards gladness. So, I mean, what I'm saying is that there's this part of the gospel that we're like, like we just put it out there and don't you, don't you just want to know that you're going to go to heaven when you die? And it's like, yeah, okay, I'll do that. And, and the, but then there's other piece to it that, um, you know, in the Alliance, it's called the deeper life, where that 
connected now with God, our life is transformed, that our sin issue is taken care of, and now we're stepping into an exultant area of worship and praise and of declaring His name, and the more we step into that realm, the more happy we actually are. And not only that, but as we see this happen across the world, our joy continues to increase and increase and increase, and it's it's proportional with the fact of God's redeeming people of every tribe and every nation and every language across the entire globe. It's glorious truth. God wants people to praise Him. And He knows it's not just that He's a megalomaniac, okay? It's not just that. He's worthy of it. He's the only being in all of creation, of all of... He's uncreated. He's the only one worthy of praise. And He knows that people were created for this and that our joy is hinged upon it, thus the gospel, and thus the moving of the gospel into the world. All right, Psalm 96, Psalm 96, verse 3. Declare His glory among the nations and His marvelous works among the peoples. And so now we have testimonies happening. This is one of the reasons we're, you know, uh, we're like, hey, you want to share some testimony about what? Because it's worship. The testimonies are worship, Okay. And the, and the reality of it is, is we're declaring God's goodness and in so doing, that is a form of missional evangelism even right here in this room, in McHenry. Okay? Even right here in this room. Yes. Alright, and then Psalm 96, verse 10. Say among the nation, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established and it shall never be moved. He will judge the people with equity. Isn't it interesting too that uh, once the sin issue is dealt with with Jesus, that we actually, you know, even though maybe at the beginning we're like, dude, I don't like God. I don't like to look at God as a judge. I just don't like to look at it. But then something transforms because we see the fact that the judge actually got off the bench, paid the death penalty, and, and his throne is established in justice and righteousness. And somewhere along the lines, even though it's scary, we realize that we're serving a holy God who's worthy to be praised. And it's not about the beatdown of, of evil people. It's about the beatdown of evil itself and let all injustice, like the Bible says, shut its mouth. I want that to happen, don't you? Like, I want injustice, and I don't think that's inspired by me. I want injustice to shut its mouth in the nation. And there's a lot of injustice going on in the world. There's a lot of people that are not being treated the way that they deserve or ought to be treated, even in this nation. And, and we want God to establish His throne. And have you, have you ever experienced, by the way, I'm just, I'm just kind of throwing out some experiential praise, have you ever gotten to the point when, when you realize that your joy and gladness really is tied up in worshiping Him? Do you know what I'm saying? Like where you forget yourself? I'll be honest with you, sometimes this kind of... Like, it doesn't really matter to me how we worship, to be honest with you, like style, music. I mean, I love it all. I, I don't even, like, we don't even need to use instruments and stuff like that. But sometimes I can get wrapped, you know, have you ever gotten, like, wrapped up in the praise of work? And, you, and there's something about rubbing up against the greatness of our God. And it's directly, if you look back, it's directly portional in those moments where you become self-forgetful. And at that moment, you brush up against the greatest moments of joy that your life will ever experience in, the, in this world, I'm telling you. And there's a lot of other things in life that do that too. Coming up against creative majesty, children being born into the world, people getting married, other greatness. But, but in the praise of God's name, 
There's something about it. Like, we know that it is right to declare His greatness and to shout it from the, from the mountaintops. And, 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 and we, we glory in it. All right, now turn to Psalm 22. Turn to Psalm 22. i got to go there myself. So this psalm is just one of the most incredible, freakishly scary, but also uh, like, whoa, that's just that's, that's messed up. If you know, I mean, because David actually wrote it. We know David wrote it because at the beginning, it actually says to the choir master, according to the doe of the dawn, a psalm of David. This psalm is, is an incredible messianic psalm. And what I mean by that is, David, by the Holy Spirit now, the Holy Spirit being omniscient and omnipotent, fully God, actually pre-writes Jesus' suffering on the cross. You know, you read in the Gospels, and, and it just says something like, and they took him to Golgotha, and there he was crucified. And if you really want to, to come into the suffering of Christ, you've got to read Psalm 22. I mean, David did, a, an, you know, through the Holy Spirit, describes a lot of what was going on. Uh, when Jesus was on the cross, he even quotes from the beginning of the psalm when he says, L-O-I, L-O-I, Lama Sabathani. And you remember what the people are like, Whoa! He's calling for Elijah. Where's he at? Fire! Maybe fire. Maybe fire. I don't know. And, and you know, they're like, no, he was quoting from Psalm 22, trying, I think, to get to help. Not just to connect them. Listen, I don't think it was just to be like, hey, I want to connect you with the instructional thought that you might have memorized that this is similar to what David went through. No, no, no. David wrote what he went through. This was his experience by the Holy Spirit. Okay, David suffered too. Don't get me wrong. But, but you can see, you'll see what I'm talking about. I'm not going to read the whole psalm, but I want to point out a couple of the verses in here. Um, <clears throat> verse 6. I am a worm. I'm not a man. Scorned by mankind. Despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me and they wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. How about this one? Hey, Jesus. If you're the Messiah... Why don't you come down from that cross right now? Because if you're really the king of kings, then you should be able to get off that cross. And if you can get off that cross, then maybe I'll believe in you. But if you're just going to hang there and die, we know you're not the Messiah. And that was going on. That was happening. That was, I mean, some of the leaders of Judaism at that point in time were actually doing that. They were inspiring that kind of language, that mocking. Look at verse 12. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint and my heart is like wax. I think that literally happened to him. I mean, I'm I'm serious. I think like all of his bones were out of joint. I have no reason. I'm believing God's word. They were not broken, but look at My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all of my bones. They stare and gloat over me and divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. I mean, this is right out of the, right out of Golgotha. This is what's going down. This is what's happening. 
And, and look at his heart. Look at Jesus' heart, I think. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. And you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. My God, my God, save me. I mean, he went through suffering that we don't even know. You know, I mean, I'm not talking even just the physical, but the spiritual and the emotional suffering to redeem mankind. For there is no other name that's been given among men by which we must be saved. And now, all of this, now look at verse 27. The end of this, end of this gruesome and sorrowful and, and difficult psalm. And what, how does it end? All of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to our Lord. For He rules over the nations. <laughs> worship. Worship was the cause of the cross. The very reason for it. A gathering for the joy set before Him. To make a people that will worship God in all of His glory, in all of His beauty, in all of His magnificent splendor, declaring to the world the wisdom and unsearchable riches of a God that is worthy. There was a time when I believed that I was worthy to be worshipped. There was a time when I believed that. And so did every other single human being in the world, if we're honest with ourselves. And then a time comes when God actually puts us up against His beauty and His glory. And you know what? It begins to come on. It's like, you know what? I'm not worthy of worship. I'm not worthy of obedience. This is a God who's worthy to be worshipped. This is a God who's worthy to give our lives to. Worship is a driving passion for missions out of the Psalms. All right, now turn over to Ephesians chapter 3. So Herb, Herb, the last couple of weeks, has been speaking. Like, I think two weeks ago he was in Ephesians 1, and then, uh, and then he was in Ephesians 2 last week. Like, I didn't plan this this way. I was just like, oh, I'm going to, uh, you know, Lord, I want to speak on, you know, like missions as, as, as a passion, and I was going to just fit into the Psalms. And then uh, in my study I was like, oh, my goodness, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3. And that's one of those things where it was, uh, you know, not a wisdom thing for me. I mean, I really believe, like, God, I, I want you to see, like, he's been planning this stuff. It's not, it's not Herb's wisdom. It's not our, it's not our pastor's wisdom. It's, it's our God and, and the delight of, of people that are yielded up to let him speak and move out of the way. And it's not for our glory, but for your glory. So Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. All right, we're going to read verses 1 through uh, 13. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. By the way, the word mystery here is going to be a key. It's a key word in the whole book of Ephesians because he's already talked about it a little bit in, in prior chapters. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. By the way, was the mystery written about by the prophets? Yes. Now, though, what he's saying is, in the fullness of time, now the aha moment has come. And we're beginning to really understand more about the prophetic utterances that have gone on before. Thus, Jesus said, Look it, people have longed to see my day. 
They've longed for it. And I'm right here in front of you. You are blessed because of you're seeing things happen right before your eyes. You're seeing lame walk. You're seeing demons be cast out. You're seeing water being turned into wine. You're seeing the dead be raised. But there's something even more significant than these miracles. I am here. Emmanuel. And yet, you are trying to kill me. And and he's saying, like, now we're beginning to understand more through Revelation what was going on. Verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that He was realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is for your glory. He was like, look at man, I need you to understand a little bit more. Uh, and by the Spirit, the Spirit is saying, I want you to understand a little bit more too about what's happening and what the gospel is. And, and again, remember, missions as a worship, as a driving force for missions. What? The, to declare something that can't even be fully declared. What? The unsearchable riches of Christ. All right, so out of this passage, point number one, God creates mission-minded people. Verses seven and eight. What was it about Paul that, that, that God was like, I'm using that one. Nothing. There was nothing special in and of himself. And that's the way God has always worked. In fact, God frequently goes way out of his way to find like someone that would never be able to be like, yeah, it was all me. You know, it was mo-. Jesus was, a, there was a little Jesus in there, but mostly with me. And you know, we don't say that, but that happens in ministry. You know, we won't say that, we won't be honest with it, but it'll be like, yeah, man, I did a great job leading music. Wasn't that awesome? Wasn't it awesome? The power uh, that I that I like withheld that, like, that I manifested, you know. But we say it, we don't say it like that. We say it like, yeah, God was really good. Wasn't God really good? And in reality, we're really boasting in our own abilities. And, and so God chooses these weak pe- people, the foolish things of the world. He said in another place. And so Paul actually says, you know, it, it's not about our own cleverness. It's about the grace of God that qualifies us. God called him out even though he was the persecutor of the church, and he's reminding us that, that I was the least of all sinners. It's not, I mean, I was the least of the humanity. I was a persecutor of all this truth. Yet the grace of God manifested itself in me in such a way, God is such a, it's not about Paul. It's about the greatness of our God choosing one that was not deserving, that actually illumines the benevolence of our God and how he wants us to participate in this manifestation of creating worshipers throughout the world even though we're not worthy to do it. And all of this is wrapping up for the praise of his glory. You see what I'm saying? It's not about being able to praise Paul for what he is. It's about praising God. And here we are praising God for Paul. We still are today because of the letters that he's written and the example that he's left. And it makes us glad to know that, whoa, maybe 
I'm not that far from God that He couldn't use me. He, he uses these examples like David, like Paul, like Peter, like others in the Scriptures to give us a very real picture to understand that that same grace that moved in them moves in you and me too. God sends grace, uh, point number two. Oh yeah, what was it? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. It's one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. You know, I have, I have like a lot of those verses, but right there at the end of this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power that has worked within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. You know, there's like some teaching out there, like there's some preaching that's just like, come on, man. Be all you can be. It's all about you. Do it. God has manifest, has created you in such a way. Come on, you know, just rise up. Like rise up within yourself and, 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 and actualize. You know, it's like some form of like weird, uh, it's not, it's not weird, but it's, it's a form of psychology, and then they, they throw like Christianity on top of it. And, and I, I don't want to diminish that because they're not that far from the truth. They're not that far from the truth from the standpoint that you and I have power in our lives that is beyond ourselves, and it is supernatural. And we can do things that are extraordinary. But here's the issue. Is it us doing it? It is not us doing it. It is God in us doing it. Thus, all of the boasting is gone. And it all, all of the boasting is in God's ability to do it. Praise be to God for His grace. Okay. Number two, uh, the mission is to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. So God sends these grace-empowered worshipers throughout the world to tell of the unsearchable riches of Christ. Look at it right there. Uh, in verse... Eight, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Listen, I'm not just talking about the, the, the milk thing. Like, you're going to die. You're going to go to hell. It's more about, like, can you understand what God has done for you? I mean, the, the, the beauty of all that He's done. And, and what is the unsearchable riches of Christ? Well, in Ephesians chapter 2, he, he talks about it again. Um, Herb actually spoke about this last week. Ephesians 2, 7, so that in the coming ages, God might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. He's like, look at in the coming ages, He is always going to surprise you. There is never going to be a time, even a million years from now, or whenever it is that my body is raised back up and I'm made... I, I am made perfect in Christ with a raised body. A morning is going to come and Jesus is going to be like, bam! And He's going to jump out and do some you know, crazy, beautiful thing and I'm going to be like, man, you did it again. You did it again. I, I just can't, I cannot believe it. Like, every morning the mercies are new and you surprise me by your beauty again. And you did it again. He's going to do it over and over and over again. And the result is going to be, I am coming to worship. I'm, I'm going to praise you. I'm going to declare your greatness. This is my joy. This is what I live for. This is my passion. And in part, we have this right now. We have this right now. What is the unsearchable riches of Christ? Well, part of this is the mystery, which is what? Well, back in Ephesians chapter 2, and again in Ephesians chapter 3, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and members of the same body. In Ephesians 2, he says, remember that once, at one time, 
2.12, you were separated from Christ and alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. You had no hope and you were without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, who once those who were once far off have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. This is incredible stuff. That means that all of the promises that He made to Israel, the mystery, the unsearchable riches, is part of the unlocking of all of those truths. In other words, it's not just you need to be reconciled with God, it's also the other side. Your joy will come from connected with your connectedness with God. Or I have on this list that we use from time to time. To time. It's like two pages here on just verses after verses of the promises of God that we now, the world, the nations, all of the world are now partakers of. And this is even an exhaustive list, you know. We've been reconciled to God. We are justified. We're not of this world. We're chosen by Christ. We're, cho- we're Christ's friend. I've died with Christ and sin no longer is over me. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. If God is for us, who can be against us? We sang that, right? I have been made alive in Christ. I have been established, anointed, and sealed by God in Christ. I'm a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved. I, um, I, have, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. I've been rescued out of Satan's rule. Christ Himself is in me. In fact, in the book of Colossians, he actually says that the mystery is the fact that God in Christ through the Holy Spirit manifests His beauty and glory in us as living temples that we become a temple of God. Christ in us, the hope of glory. That is the mystery. Not just Him saving us from afar, but coming to dwell within us. It's glorious truths, promises that we're being made a partaker of. Point number three. Part of this preaching is to bring the light of the plan of our Creator, God, to everybody. Listen. God made it all. He even says it right in here. God who created all things. And if you look, look, at, look a couple of verses down in verse 14... For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That according to the... So what that means is that He made them all. He made them all, even in the 1040 window. It doesn't matter what color our skin is. It doesn't matter what language we speak. It doesn't matter what color our hair is. It doesn't matter if our eyes work or not. He formed us all. He is the only Creator God. He is the one who has made us. And all of the nations belong to Him. He has formed each one of them intimately in the wombs of their mothers. He has been involved. And His passionate love sent His Son into the world and is now on the offense in striving to claim back His rightful inheritance. In fact, at the beginning of the service, we sang a song, we sang out of Psalm chapter 2, where God the Father, in Psalm chapter 2, an incredible passage, says to the Son, if you ask me, if you ask me, I will give you the nations as your inheritance. And did you think Jesus asked him? Oh yeah. He asked him. He asked him. And do you think that God is not going to give his Son what he asked for? It's happening. Now the interesting part is, is how is he doing it? Through the church. Through us. That's the next point. Bringing light of the plan of our Creator, God, to everybody. And there's lots of verses on this. Jesus is the light of the world. We're a chosen race. 
a, a royal priesthood to declare the excellencies of our God, that he's called us out of darkness and into light, and that, that, um, that the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ is shining in the face of Jesus, that we exalt Christ and his light shines and people see. They hear and they see. And what is the purpose for this? Well, in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 3, it says, so that the wisdom of God might be made known. And it's really interesting too, if you look at this, so that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to who? To the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Dude, I like this stuff. I'm like, I'm all, I, I like science fiction stuff. And I've said that before, but this kind of stuff is like, dude, cool. What in the world is God doing? Interesting stuff. In fact, in another passage, I think it's in Peter, he actually writes that angels and principalities and powers long to look into the gospel. In other words, I have this picture. It's not a complete picture, but use your sanctified imagination, all right? That the angels, even though they were created, many of them holy, don't fully understand the wisdom of God. They don't, they don't fully get it. In other words, they were like, what? You're going to do what? What's he doing? He's sending his son down there for the enemies that have taken his name and are just like trampling it like they don't want him at all and he's going to send his son into the world to do that? What, the, what are you thinking? That's just crazy. Crazy talk. Crazy talk, crazy talk. You know, I wonder if they ever say that kind of... But you know, and, and so what it says is that, that somewhere along the lines, the illumination of the, of the gospel actually is helping the, the angels to understand the wisdom of God. They're like, Whoa! Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, did you see him just raised from the dead? And did you see him just raise that? Did you, did you see him save that guy? Man, that guy was like totally against him. What in the world was, and, and, what's happening? Oh, God, you, you got me on that one, God. That was a good one. That was a good one. That, your manifold wisdom. Okay, I, I say it again. I, I really didn't understand you fully. I didn't understand you fully, but you know what? Now that I'm, now that I, I have this picture from Job that they still get together and worship him. And I bet you they're getting together all the time and they're like, oh my, nah. Lord, your wisdom is it, beyond anything that I even thought of. You know, like 2,000 years ago, like today, I, I understand you from 2,000 years ago, like today, I saw you do it again. And, and I was surprised by your wisdom again. And, and I just want to worship you again. You're worthy of worship. In fact, I'm not going to for you today. Where are you sending me? Where are you sending me? Even angels long to look into this. And I'm saying, as humanity, we do too, right? Um, in Romans chapter 11, in this incredible, beautiful worship, in the, in the last verse of Romans 11, he says, Oh, the depth and the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. Listen, worship is, a, is, 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 is passion and, decla- and seeing the nations declare the praise of God is a motivation. CNMA, because we don't, we don't really do this very frequently, but I want I to just talk about the Christian Missionary Alliance before. You know, have you ever, uh, um, you know, have you ever talked to anybody where you go to church at? I'm always like, yeah, where do you go to church at? Well, you know, McHenry. You know McHenry? Yeah. Okay, well, you know where the McHenry is by the Nimsey? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, we're kind of across the street over there. I'm like, what? There's a church over there? I was, I was so upset when I saw them begin to build a new McDonald's. I'm like, Lord! What are you doing? My McDonald's. That's how I declare your wisdom to the nations. All right. Can we edit that out? No, I'm just kidding. 
There we go, cell tower. That's it, that's it, that's the new, that's the new pillar. All right, cell tower. Yeah, and there's lights on there. I can use that as an illustrative factor. You ever see the lights at night on that big white tower? Yeah, I have to we can do that. All right. So, have you ever told anybody about like the denomination? Like a cult? No, no, it's not a cult. So one day I was down in uh, in Oklahoma City, and there was this. Uh, at that point in time, I was really passionate about like beating people with my Bible as much as I could, and uh, so I'm going to church. Ooh, he's got a Bible. Oh, going to go talk to him, you know, because talk to him about Jesus. So we're going to do that. So we went over there and. We're like, hey, you know what's going on? I just no, 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 no Bible in your hand. And I had this inductive study Bible at the time. Ron Pfeiffer still got one. You know, that thing is like massive. Dude, it would just create conversations like, what are you reading there? Is that an exhaustive dictionary or something? And uh, so we're talking. He's like, I'm like, where are you going to church? He's like, yeah. And, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I was going to an alliance church down there. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to an alliance church. You know, over, 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 over. we have a prayer meeting. You know, Christian Missionary Alliance, A.B. Simpson, you know, started it like 100 years ago. Missions emphasis. And he goes, you know, that's funny because the church that I go to, it was founded by Jesus. And it was 2,000 years ago that he founded it. And I was like, oh, man, you got me. You got me on that. You got me on that one, you know. You got me. So uh, the Alliance is a light-bearing, Jesus-centered mission, uh, Jesus-centered missions and church-planting movement with deeper life at its heart. And, and you'll hear Paul talk about the deeper life stuff all the time. And missions is at the heart of that deeper life. Rather than just a denomination intent on building its own kingdom, we are desiring to be a people who have go in the middle of everything that we do. Okay? And in, in fact, it wasn't even really intentionally started as a denomination. It was just a people passionate about missions. And then we have this thing, the Great Commission Fund. If you guys ever have a... You know, like if you have a giving envelope, there's like different slots on there and there's a thing for missions where you can write it down. Like you can give to missions. That money actually goes, it doesn't go into our general fund at all. It goes straight to the Great Commission Fund. And so the denomination has this Great Commission Fund. It's a great one fund system and it allows missionaries to focus on ministry rather than fundraising while giving the church an opportunity to impact the world. I mean, there's some people that are really good at fundraising. You know what I'm talking about? Like they're just like, you know, they just go out there and they just, you know, they have that interpersonal, hey, what's going on, you know, don't you want to give us some money? By the way, if you know any of those people, can you bring them here? <laughs> Especially if they, if they like you. I'm just, just, the treasurer will really like that, I'm just saying. You know, bring, I'm, just, I'm just kidding with you, right? God will send, by the way, does God need our money? He doesn't need our money. He doesn't. He wants us to be joyful givers. Uh, so we have this fund that allows people who are called, who might not necessarily be the greatest fundraisers, but have a heart for a people somewhere to send them without having to worry about, am I going to have enough money this month to be here or am I going to have to go home? And when I go home, I just feel so awkward asking for people for money. I just, I, I need to be there, but I can't, you know, how am I, how are we going to do this resource thing? And so the Great Commission Fund kind of bridges the gap in those areas, right? And that's where it's at. Here's some thoughts about it. Uh, where do we go? We go wherever darkness, this is right off the Alliance website, we go wherever darkness has a foothold. Today there's more than 2,000 Alliance churches in the United States, approximately 20,000 fellowships in 81 countries around the world, but nearly 5 million Christians that are part of the uh, Alliance, um, you know, passion for missions. In 2011, we also, out of the Great Commission Fund, fund short-term missions trips as well, even in, even in the States. And up to 1,800 people in 2011 went on short-term mission outreaches. 85 individuals went on four weeks or more assignments somewhere in the world, all to be a light unto the nations a passion for sending people and for moving the gospel into the world. Because of the Great Commission Fund, 
Every four minutes, someone prays to receive Christ through a worldwide outreach of Alliance Ministries. Every hour, three patients, many of them ravaged by AIDS, receive physical and spiritual care through the CNMA medical work. Every day, 43 radio broadcasts reach people who have had no gospel witness to hear the good news. Every week, nearly 3,000 new believers are baptized through the outreach of the Great Commission Fund. Every month, 253 churches and church groups join the Worldwide Alliance family. Church planting, it's happening. We're going forward. We're moving the gospel into the world, okay? Every year, nearly 10,000 students are trained and equipped for ministry through over 125 overseas Alliance theological schools. The Alliance is passionate about training leaders where they're at, indigenous people, to, to lead the church and to equip the church to complete the Great Commission, okay? We're moving forward in that. We're a missional church and organization. You can go on the website as well and you can look up about the Great Commission Fund. It's updated regularly. Yesterday it was updated as of uh, November 17th and we were at 94.7 of our, of our uh, budget. The budget is $38 million a year and we're at 95%. By the way, just to give you an idea of what that's like, and typically churches give about 2 to 2.5% and it's actually been going down towards of their, of their money to the to missions specifically in America. About 2 to 2.5% of the, of the overall giving in a church goes towards missions. Do you know where ours is at? Well, if you look in your bulletin, I just calculated it up this morning and I added it up. Last week, 12.5% of our income that came into the church last week went towards missions. It's incredible. That, I mean, that just doesn't happen. Statistically, we're out there. We're out there. We're a missions-focused group of people with God's passion and praise and the gospel at its heart. So, we should love to hear how, by the way, uh, how the advance of King Jesus is faring. We should love to hear of the gospel triumphs as Christ plants his church among peoples held for centuries by alien powers of darkness. J. Campbell White actually said this. Most men are not satisfied with the permanent output of their lives. Nothing can wholly satisfy the life of Christ within his followers except the adoption of Christ's purpose towards the world that he came to redeem. Fame, pleasure, and riches are but husks and ashes in contrast with the boundless and abiding joy of working with God for the fulfillment of his eternal plans. The men who are putting everything into Christ's undertaking, and I would say women as well, are getting out of life as sweetest and most priceless reward. What can we do? Well, one is pray. That's the, that's the key. Not everyone is going to be sent around the world like doing and. Some of us have the mission of sending, but, and I will talk about this in just a minute, you, so first, pray. By the way, there's some ideas here. Um, uh, 1 Timothy 2 actually says by the Holy Spirit, first of all then, I urge that supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings are made for all people. Why? Because, in verse 4, it says, God our Savior desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Prayer is part of that. We are in a war for people. And we need to be a praying people. Okay, And that's what the Bible teaches us. So pray. Um, there's a book called Operation World. You can go on their website. I have an electronic copy on my computer back there if you want to see it. I also have a slide presentation going about the Great Commission Fund if you want to look at that. Um, but it's a great resource. They update it regularly. You can look at uh, different nations. There's a different nation to pray for or country every single day. 
Um, and it talks about like the, the emotional and cultural climate, where the church is at, the things that they're wrestling with, at, you know, and what can you, how can you pray more effectively for the gospel in this region. And so I, I heartily encourage that. Obviously, uh, the Alliance has lots of resources as well on their website about how and when that we could be praying for people. Uh, second, give to the Great Commissions. And I've already covered that. 12.5%, man. Praise the Lord. I just love that because it actually proves, like, don't get me wrong, uh, you can give money and sometimes it's easier to give money than it is to actually go. Um, in general, though, God doesn't really need our money. But if you have joy in God, you're going to invest in what you love. And if you love God, you're going to invest in it. And uh, praise the Lord for that. And then lastly, go. Are you in full-time, are you in full-time uh, service to God? Are you in full-time vocational service to God? Yes, you are. I actually get my, God pays our bills through the federal government. That's one of my favorite verses in the New Living Translation. It says, pay your taxes so that government workers can continue to do the work that God has called them to do. <laughs> and so uh, that's, one of my, that's one of my calling verses, just letting you know that. And uh, so uh, it's, that, it's that translation too, by the way. I've looked it up another translation to say the same thing. Uh, but um, we are all in full-time vocational ministry. By the way, we're living in an age right now in McHenry where people don't know the Bible. This is a missions field. And you heard the Holy Spirit through Anne say that during their eight years overseas, he's inspiring even a greater heart and desire for the glory of the gospel here. Come on. We're here. This is a missions field. McHenry is a missions field. Crystal Lake is a missions field. Wonder Lake is a missions field. Johnsburg is a missions field. You know, we are in this to win it. Not just to give money, to send people, but you are the sent. The grace and power of God in you manifesting itself, the beauty and glory of God. Preach the gospel in season and out, season and out of season. Make it happen. I'm telling you, nothing else that you are endeavoring to do is going to make you happy as much as this. In the end, I want, I want our family to... I mean, our family is a great joy for me. Don't get me wrong. But I'm telling you that even more so than seeing our children grow up into pillars that can love God and love their fellow man, the gospel, paramount. Preach the gospel, the unsearchable riches of God. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And in Revelation 5, worship is the cause and motivator for missions. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you, Jesus, to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Amen. Lord, we just give you great thanks and glory today for the work and ministry of your Spirit in your church and in missions. Lord, make us to be a missions-focused group of individuals, individually and corporately. And I'm not just talking about Alliance Bible Church. I'm talking about your church at large. Connect us together with other believers in the symphony 
to see all of the nations come, even those here in McHenry, to come and praise Your name. Amen.